Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing and of course thank you for leaving us all those iTunes reviews. Now before we get into the podcast today, uh, I just want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter. We really do enjoy it when you get involved in the wider conversation. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at The Rugby Dungeon. So if you've got any suggestions on who to interview or what you'd like to hear in the future, please let me know there. And last but not least is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast at Rugby Podcast. Now that's important. Because not only is it the world's biggest independent rugby show, it's also out every Monday without fail. It's been doing so for the last four years. And come the Lions tour, we'll be doing it three times a week. But that's not all. Because on the 16th and 17th of September, we are off to Philadelphia. And if you've been following following me or Egg Chasers or Cocker or anyone involved for any length of time, you'll know in March we did a live show out of Bucharest where we are doing exactly the same thing in Philadelphia. I'm going to follow Saracens uh, as they take on Newcastle. It wasn't going to be Saracens and the Irish, but after they decided to spend a year in the Championship, uh, Newcastle stepped up to the plate and took up the offer. going to be tremendously exciting. Leading up to that game, I'm going to try and get as many representatives from both those two sides onto here to give the game a real push, because I think you'll agree getting rugby off to a good start next year, next season, is going to be of critical importance. So if you're interested in the live show, get in contact with us either via Twitter or via the Facebook page. Today's guest is Rob Webber. Rob plays for Sale and plays for England. He previously has played for Wasps, Bath and Yorkshire and is a fascinating guy. Uh, we have done this slightly differently. Instead of having Rob in studio or calling in, I actually assembled a small team of myself and Phil. We got on a tram, went over to Hale, and we had a few beers with him in the Griffin pub in Altrincham. So the sound might not quite be studio standard, but the content certainly is. When you hear Rob speaking next, uh, he'll be responding to a question I asked him regarding his future role next season as coach of Sambach. And interestingly, he'll be coaching Sambach alongside... Uh, Scotland international Byron McGuigan. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Right, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. myself and Byron McGuigan. Um, ah, right, okay. Going into just, you know, purely coaching role. Um, we're both looking to sort of advance that side of our career. Presumably you won't be there on Saturdays. No, so obviously there'll be, a, there'll be weekends when we're playing... Um, well, we won't be, but we have a lot of Friday Sunday games as, as a general yeah. rule. So that'll obviously help, and, and and you know the sandbatch have been great in sort of going to facilitate it. So when we're not there, someone else can sort of take charge. So how did you meet Sandbatch? Because they're not they're not that locals here, are they? They're localish, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean localish for a, a national three side. Um, I basically put some feelers out to some guys at the club um, about wanting to do some coaching and. Um, Basically, Sam Batch came back the other end. So, uh, yeah, so I saw a few phone calls and meetings later. Should have come to Talk H. Right in the middle of Didsbury. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> what, aspirations yeah. coach at level 8 or level 7 or, or, or whatever we are? I'm always available. 
<laughs> have whistle will travel. <laughs> so um, yeah, no. So they they, they um, got in touch and we met and it, you know all worked out that it would be beneficial for both parts. And yeah, that's cool. it really. Yeah, so where, where are they playing? Are they on level five or are they? Because they've been pretty well over the last. Yeah, so they're national three, not Midlands. They're in the Midlands. What, what, what is that then? Is that so I think it's five. Yeah, that's a pretty good standard. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I coached Bath Uni for two years when I was playing down playing at Bath. I loved it, and um, coaching's what I'd probably like, like to do in the future, I think. Um, Have you got your badges then? So I've done my level two, and yeah. I'm trying to tie in my level three now with this sandbatch gig, so. Yeah. Um, all been well over the over the next year, year or so, I can get that nailed down. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, looking forward to it, really. Like, it was a you know, Tuesday, Thursday night job. Was, um, yeah, I've got, I've got a bit of an embarrassing uh, admission. I did, I got an NYC on my last day of level two. And all I do is talk about rugby and go to um, and go to rugby training. And if you want to know what an NYC is, it's not yet competent. So I've got to do the last day. So I've never heard of anyone else getting an NYC on level two. I think I was. Um, uh, I think I was uh, discriminating against personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hobbies, Too opinionated. You're New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so have, you, have you got any kind of long-term plans? What you'd like? To, would you like to specialise in going to forwards or defence um, or line out or? scrum or anything yeah interesting really I mean I, I think it's a little bit up in the air at the minute I'd probably want to try my hand at all the areas sort of yeah you know and that's where coaching some batch and, you know will be will be brilliant to sort of figure out a what I'm good at what I like and you know obviously you know scrum and line out throwing and things like that sort of sort of come to mind as a specialist uh, yeah, yeah, sort of coaching yeah. areas but uh, yeah um said defence really but the last few years I've really sort of um, gotten into the whole like attacking structure building game management and all that sort of thing and okay. sort of that, that's become more I've probably become more educated on that right okay uh, just through natural in, interest yeah just naturally growing a bit older and realising that's actually how you win rugby games not by dewing <laughs> it out of your arse um, <laughs> I think so. That's probably why I've gained more interest in it. Yeah. Mind you, defence coach. I mean, that's 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 what I would do because I mean, you just talk about line speed, and yeah. you talk about it enthusiastically enough. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's it, isn't it? You get really good. Louder, faster, speed. stronger. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You've got to be really enthusiastic. You've got to bring wolves. To but I think it's you know, it depends. A defence coach is brilliant, but you you know, you don't have to be that. Um, there's only so many ways you've got to, to be defend. I think. Yeah, I think you've got to be motivated, which is great, which I like. Some of the you know I played some for some unbelievable defence coaches in my time, like Sean Edwards to name one. You know, fantastic. When, when did you play under Sean? So wasps. I was at Wasps yeah, for about eight years. So um, see, I, I always think of you as a back. But yeah, no, I guess because I started quite young. So I, yeah, you know, I did eight years and was still only twenty six when I went to uh, yeah. Bath. So, um, but yeah, Sean, you know, for example, and, and sorry, sorry. they're like great guys. I think that defence, that defensive role, it's just you know. There's only so many ways you can be creative. You yeah, know? there is. Yeah. Tackling, tackling, and stealing the ball, stealing the ball. You know? Yeah, I mean, I always say find the, the defence coach who says slow down the line speed, and mm. then you know you've got someone that's thinking out, um, thinking outside the box. Yeah, because it's always it's always the base, basically the same three. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's defence. The way I look at it, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it's kind of you've only got a couple of options in most situations, and it's identifying the option to take, whether it's to to press or to hold to blitz or not to blitz 
identifying that as early as possible and then implementing that yeah. as a unit. Yeah, as a, I agree, yeah. Well, there is like a big group dynamic there. How do you get a big group of people to make the same decision at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that, that's, that's the hardest bit. That's well, I guess it's yeah, repetition and practising different scenarios, isn't it? Is the, mm. is the key to it. But it's having a basic philosophy and then, you know, it's, if your number's up or number's matched, you can go harder if you're sort of numbers down you, can, mm. you probably got to back off a little bit but mm. as you say recognising that when you're, when you're blowing or it's noisy or and, and yeah. however many other men in the line all yeah, recognising exactly, that yeah. and reacting at the same that's time that's it so you know the best the best defensive are the ones that all work, work together aren't they yeah. on the same page because so. if you've got a brilliant blitz but only one man does it and it's the right time then it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pointless so you've had um, how many weeks last this year no, you'll maybe be with somebody only about a week since it was uh, not even a week since it was official what's going through your mind as to the first jobs you're going to do when you get there and have you thought about your pre-season yet um, yeah I have thought about it um, it'll be interesting you know it's going to be a challenge not just from a sort of actually coaching technically coaching rugby but you know these are all guys that turn up on a Tuesday Thursday Saturday for fun Yeah. Um, none of them get paid whatsoever do, do they not? Uh, no so that's brilliant. Um, you know, I'm a big, big fan and big believer of that amateur ethos rugby club uh, mentality. And uh, you know, it's going to be getting to know these guys, getting them to sort of buy into what we're trying to do, and sort of believe in it, and all, all those sort of things. As, as as much as it is actually thinking about what we're going to coach. So that's that's the bit I'm looking forward to. Really, it's just sort of. We're collective for disabled children. It's two pounds. You get to pick a badge. Sorry, I'm, I'm not going anything on that. Let me see if I've got some change. Some change. So, I already put it down to you, haven't you? Look at that. <laughs> you knew <laughs> I was coming. What badge would you like? I'll have a VW. VW, orange or yellow? Orange, please. Orange, no problem. Thank you. No, thank you very much. And have a nice evening, guys. Yeah, thank you, you very much. Thank, thank you. That's a, that's a nice little interlude. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Webber also a uh, charity giver. Yeah, uh, well, philanthropist. Like a bit of philanthropy, how do you say it? Uh, philanthropy. Yeah, I, I couldn't use that word, but I, yeah. I too couldn't, couldn't actually yeah. say it. Too many wines. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, what was I saying? Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's, I'm looking forward to that sort of getting a group of blokes to listen to what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> I guess, really, because I've always been on the like other side it. of it, you know. Yeah, that's exactly why I like it, you yeah. know. A small time of the week when everyone can listen to you. So. Yeah. Do you think there's one area where kind of you can see the biggest gains, or you hope to see the biggest gains with? So, for example, uh, Connaught a couple of years ago when Jack Lang, uh, Pat Lang came in, yeah. he identified handling amongst the forwards as a big area of weakness, and that yeah. was something he could make massive improvements rather than small marginal gains in. And anything you've thought of with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to have to get to grips with the lads. I, you know, haven't yeah. even seen them play yet. I don't know. What's going to turn up on that first training day? You know, we might only have twenty blokes, we might have forty blokes. So yeah. it'll be, a, it'll be sort of seeing what we've got. But I think they're a very similar level to my local club back home, uh, Pocklington IOC, which is in East Yorkshire. Which is they've just been promoted into North Three, National Three North. Right. So, okay. Um, very similar level. Just yeah. Different, um, different region. And I've been to watch them a few times. Obviously, that's where I grow up. That's where I'm from. And mm. 
I watch them and I, th and I sort of think their actual passing and tackling and things, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, obviously it doesn't go for every team at that level, but if you, if you sort of use the analogy that they're a similar level, it's, it's pretty good. It, it, but it's it's learning how to how to actually win rugby games and strategically move up and down the pitch, and ah, okay. get control of the ball and understand playing the clock, playing the ref, playing the game, you know, all these sorts yeah. of things. And it's just trying to educate the guys a little bit on, on how to do that, really, because, you know, I, I'd be surprised if when I get there they, they all can't catch and pass, you know. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll They've be been playing rugby all their lives, yeah. most of them, so, you know, yeah. the basics will be there. Yeah. Obviously, you can improve them. As a coach, I definitely want to do that, but just that overall sort of understanding, really, I think is... Strategy, game yeah. management. Do you know what the, I always think is a good idea, like, at lower levels? Um, because obviously, you know, when you get to the professional level, everyone across the board, because they're so competitive, they're roughly the same-ish. Mm. I mean, they're not, you obviously get some better um, athletes in certain positions, but I actually think the lower down you get, the more important your friend becomes, because yeah. the more work rate you can get out of them, and you can almost guarantee that if you can get work rate out of your props and your hookers at, say, level six, level mm. seven, the other team won't be doing that. No, yeah. mm. Obviously, the front row is fundamental at any level, mm. as we yeah. know, guys, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Hooker particularly crucial, um, but I think yeah no I agree I agree um, I think as well one thing I look to do is having spoken to some match and they've got the facilities do the odd video session yeah. with them you know I don't think they've they've ever done one before from my understanding and just to give them a bit of insight into example of what we look at and and, and do that and obviously there's just the infrastructure to do that will be hard enough in getting someone yeah. to video it and code it and what cut you want it. Is, yeah. is, is a high iPod. Yeah, they are about they're, they're a little expensive. They're not overly expensive, but you you get them. You plug them inside the pitch, and it's on like a little stick, and it goes up about uh, thirty foot, right. something like that, and, it, and then it follows the game. Really cool, cool bit of kit. Follows the game automatically. Uh, I think Macclesfield got one. Sounds or, expensive. Yeah, yeah it does sound a, expensive. A, you know, it's, it's about grand. So it's like you know, it's it's not cheap. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but it's not. Have to do a whip for that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the chairman. Yeah. Or, or like a drone. Yeah. Yeah. The drone. Yeah. Drone, the drone, drone at sale. Do it for training. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Who, um, I think everyone has a drone. Hugh Jenner, the computer nerd, flies it. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I got a full license in drone flying. <laughs> do you need a license? <laughs> well, you do. You would do if you, if, you li if you listen to him. You'd think you would. Yeah. 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 No one else is allowed near it. <laughs> Yeah, I've taken a few pot shots at it with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, you are in the flight path there. You don't want to make a yeah, news, news for the wrong reasons. No. Yeah, like uh, Mujati in Toulon. Yes, didn't he? Good old Brian. He did. Yeah, he flew his drone. You know, for his life of Brian. I, I, I've heard about this um, YouTube channel or whatever it is. He he flew his drone into what he thought looked like a good bit of architecture and it was the <laughs> French naval base oh, which I think is the biggest in France yeah, too long is, yeah. so obviously uh, that didn't go down too well when he was yeah. chaperoned into an office for a few hours I, yeah. I imagine they took that quite seriously yeah. I, mean, I imagine they made a good YouTuber yeah. fairly intimidating character Brian as well I imagine the massive guy and yeah he gets uh, I, I raised a few eyebrows I can't tell you how hard I tried to get him on the podcast that man is a law unto, law unto himself. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, did he... Um, well, from what I can tell from the Life of Brian videos, he would train and then he would go and do his own gym session straight afterwards. Or, yeah. Or indeed before. Yeah, sometimes before, I think. 
That's why he looks like he does, and that's why <laughs> most of the front rowers look like we do. Or I look like I do. Um, no, yeah, he, he was mad for it, you know, but um, she was just into it. I think other guys would go and, you know, have a coffee and, I don't know, do some other hobby. He would go and do some more weights. It's just the way he was wired. Oh, not for me, thank you. <laughs> um, so, people don't realise actually how long you've been a professional for. You've been, you were playing at Leeds when you were what, seven, seventeen. Yeah. Uh, so, just tell us a little bit about like the transition from where the game is today, particularly with young lads. Because now I might get this wrong. I think you were at the, you were in the system prior to the one they've got now, Castle something or other. So. We used to have to go to a place called Castlecroft. That's the one. Yeah, it's in the Midlands, which was. So I sort of got into rugby representative level through the school system. There, at the time, you could do sort of club representative and school representative, and there was always a bit of a rivalry between them. But I went down the school route, um, which basically meant my rugby, my school played rugby. Yeah, so I went down that channel, and yeah, used to used to have like North of England, well Yorkshire. Lancashire, I was in the north, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Cumbria, Northumberland, what have you. County level, then you'd go into the north of England, then you'd end up going to this place called Castlecroft, which is, I think it's near Wolverhampton somewhere in the Midlands. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. No idea. And you would, you'd have these tournaments down there where the north would play southwest, southeast, Midlands. How the north always for? coming out strong. Oh, yeah, well. well. So it'd be like under 16s level, then it'd be under 18s level. What? How many games would you play played on there? So there'd be. Just be a tournament over a couple of days. I think you'd play two or three, two or three games. Yeah. What eighty minute games? I can't, I can't remember to be honest. Sure if you can, yeah, yeah, if you're playing two or three in two days, it's got to be. Mind you, when you're a kid, you can do that kind of thing, can't you? Yeah. So, yeah, you can. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember. Well, to a certain age, anyway. But um, <laughs> I can't remember to be honest. I think they were full. Been full games over a week. I can't remember to be honest. It's more than a decade ago. But. Um, yeah, and then from there they pick like the England under sixteen, under eighteen team, and you go off and play two or three games, or whatever. But it was just, which is a very different approach to the one that they have now. No, I don't even know what the one is now, to be honest, at that, at that age. But well, yeah, well, they're certainly not um, putting them in like north and south, right. and making them, you yeah, know, sort of, like, you never see that hospitals. anymore, do you? Yeah. No, but Wales did attempt it like a few, a few years ago, just before the World, just before the World Cup. Was that, was that when they Gavin had the, the possibles versus yeah, they had the, the probables? probables yeah, because yeah, Gavin Henson was picked for the possibles <laughs> and was, was not allowed to play. Because that, that would have been him back in the Wales team. Oh, that's when he, yeah, because yeah. it was when he was at Bath, wasn't he? Mm. Bath, yeah, oh, he just gone to Bristol, hadn't he, I think. Was he just gone yeah, to Bristol yeah. and he wasn't allowed at, wasn't released from Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I enjoyed those, those at the time, you know, when you're, when you're sort of 15, 16, you know, seventeen, and you get to play for the North of England. And That's you know, it's good. It's cool. You get that sort of rivalry and a bit of identity to it, and you know, it's good. And I remember that. I remember now that there's, even now there's still a bit of well, we we were in the North together, and you see <laughs> come across a few lads on the scene, you know. So it's good. You know, I think it's good. I don't, I don't know what they do now, but who who were the lads that you played with then? Um, who were still playing for? Um, Matt Tate. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was um, he was the shining light of the north? It was basically every move was give the ball to Tate and he scored. <laughs> That's why we were so good, really. He was uh, well, he is a fantastic player. Um, who else was in that team? Say, well, Rob Bickerman was in the yeah, in, okay. in, in, as an open side flanker. Was it? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, was, yeah, as, a, as a youngster. 
Then he realised he didn't like tackling and sat down. Thought I'd go play sevens instead. Bang's hair a bit or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> generally went off the rails. <laughs> Can't really remember in the north, but in the sort of in that England age group, it was like Ryan Lamb. Yeah. Um, no, not not uh, Danny Kerr and John Dan, Crane. Danny Kerr's a little bit younger than me. Is he? Yeah, Tom Van Dell. Ah, yeah. oh, right, okay. Um, I mentioned Ryan Lamb on last week's podcast as a player who I think, for a different nation, he might have got have got a cap because I think he was incredibly well. He still is incredibly talented. Certainly when he was younger, he was one of the most promising promising prospects in all of England. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, I guess you maybe have to look at who else was about or yeah, you know, uh, the not reason, but he he's certainly. Whenever I played against him, he's one of the most dangerous guys, isn't he? Anyone who can pass oh, yeah. it, he can, he's more accurate passing it than he's kicking it. <laughs> <laughs> Old Lammy, but uh, yeah, great lad. Um, good band as well. I think mm. he gets it, you know, he, he knows the drill. So, I suppose uh, if, you're that, if, 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 if you're that size, though, you've got to get the banter. Yeah, but he, you know, he, he punches above his weight, oh, for sure. He's a tough, yeah, tough cookie. Um, I always remember him being a tough, tough player. And he, yeah. As you say, if things had gone a bit different, he probably would have. Um, I don't, don't really know what happened there. My, my knowledge on fly-off play is limited, <laughs> to say the least. Well, you were kind of were alluding to it before, and um, we went in a different direction, but you always said that, uh, well, you said that the North were, were often pretty strong. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do you find, particularly now that you're that, now that, you, that, that you're in sale, that these Northern clubs don't really get the representation that they and certainly the player pool that they have at North doesn't get the premiership representation it Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's um, <clears throat> and rugby in the North, rugby union in the North, it's huge. I mean, you look at the amount of size just in Yorkshire and Lancashire, because mm. obviously now living in Cheshire, now living in this yeah. part of the world, and being from Yorkshire, it's huge. And I think, I think ultimately it comes down to success, though. You know, if, if Sale go on, or Newcastle, or... Leeds, if they get back into the Premiership or any other side, go on and have sustained a bit of success, mm. then that representation will, will um, increase and, and be more sustainable. You, you, the guys that came through Leeds, Tykes as they were at the time, was myself, Danny Kerr, Jordan Crane, yeah. um, to name but three. All live, you know, live near each other, lived together. I lived with Jordan for a year, and you know, we all didn't stay at Leeds. Um, Partly because they didn't, you know, I didn't get off the contract. Danny got, they couldn't keep Danny for whatever reason, I think. And was Jordan. that your relegation year, though? They kind of got relegated. For me, for me, it was different. I just, I played a year out of school and then there was there was no contract for me. So I right? was like, yeah, it was a strange one, so, really. So but when did you pick up your first pro contract? So I was at Leeds. I was at school and then I got offered a one-year contract. So I sort of took it and... Um, for whatever reason. I played a few first team games like 17, 16, 17 and then I didn't really I don't really know really I just walked into the office at the end of the season sort of naive as anything and <laughs> with, with, with your pen out ready to sign yeah yeah. <laughs> it was pretty much like that to be honest yeah. um, and there was nothing there so I was like oh bloody hell and then um, but luckily like Wasps picked me up pretty much in a heartbeat and um, the rest was history really. I was yeah. had, a great, had a great time there but the other guys that were there you know they couldn't I don't really know the ins and outs you know, so I don't want to say something yeah. that I shouldn't but yeah, they couldn't afford to keep them or they, 
these guys didn't want to be at clubs that were getting relegated. So they move on because guys want to have careers and guys want to want to win stuff and guys want to play every week and things like this. And, um, so they couldn't keep hold of these players. And if they had done, you know, you, there might have been a different story. So uh, I might be showing my age now, but were you the kind of were you playing a team? It must have been after like Bram van Straten and Gervais Bissart. Bram was there when I was. So I signed for Leeds when I was 15, yeah, and so I was still at school. And Bram was I'm 30. But Bram was Bram was there when I was still at school and stuff. Um, but the guys that were like the stalwarts then would have been like Mike Shelley, the prop, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Rawlinson at hooker. Tony Window was a no, he wasn't there. Tony. Tom Palmer was a young oh, yeah. thruster. Yeah. But successful. Stuart Hooper coming in. Um, yeah. Yeah, because Leeds do produce a lot of talent. People don't really realise. Yeah, it. yeah. You know, but it's. It's one of those ones where, you, you know, like I could have gone to Wasps the year before I did, in all honesty, because they, they offered me, but I said, you know, no, I want to be play at Yorkshire, and then it didn't work out, so yeah. it was slightly so, ironical that I didn't, but, you know, they just could, they couldn't keep hold of the players at the time, which was really frustrating, and, uh, and it would, they've always been in that sort of yo-yo situation. If they can somehow stop that, then will be a strength because the county's full of talent like oh, so. if, if, I'm just going to say it feels like a catch 22 if they keep the talent they'll attract the crowds but they can't attract the, ca- attract the crowds until they keep the talent 100% yeah, 100%, yeah. And it, people want to come and see you winning rugby I have a bit of a philosophy on it as well where I think <laughs> Yorkshire people you know talking about Leeds if Leeds are in the if Leeds are in the championship and you know, sort of going okay. Obviously, they're in the final and stuff, which is great. And I really hope they get promoted. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, if, if they're in the championship and playing against other Yorkshire sides, there's Rotherham in that league and Doncaster were in, in the league last year, weren't they? And, you know, then other Yorkshire people are going to go and watch Rotherham if they're from Rotherham and Doncaster. Yeah. Going to go and watch Rotherham and Doncaster. Yeah. Or go down a little bit more Otley and Harrogate and Ilkley and Wharfdale. And yeah. There's all these other sort of national level teams yeah, that they could Paul go and watch, I mean, rather than just go and watch Leeds in the Championship. If Leeds are in the Premiership, winning, playing against Saracens every week, yep. for example, those people might go. Well, I might go watch that. Yeah, oh, they, could, they could have a massive upset on that run if they can take out the Irish tomorrow. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's teed up to be a great final, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we always refer to this as the best game in in review because it's just it comes out classics year after year. And there's so much on the line as well. Yeah, yeah. it's so I mean, massive. You've got to think about it. If, if London Irish don't don't go up, I'm not entirely sure what the future holds for them because they have gambled a lot on making sure that, that, that they do go up. Go up and stay up. And stay up, yeah. yeah. Whereas Leeds, I mean, Leeds go up, it might work against them because they've got to sign. God knows how. Well, got, they've got to get a team, haven't they? Yeah. That's yeah. a good question for you. If, they, if, if you were in, in that situation and you had a team going up, would, would you stick with that team or would you? go out and shop for, for new players do you think it's more important to have the talent or the cohesion I think it's a really really tough uh, balance to mm-hmm. get I think you've got to look at Exeter haven't you how they did it I think yeah. they I think for a year or two they had a huge squad because they kept on a lot of the people that had got them there out of um, there was obviously great players that had got them there and a lot of them had the talent to become premiership players that they are now but also a bit of loyalty and a bit of respect and that was the sort of culture of the place which is fantastic then you've got to go and get maybe five, six however many 
other players to come in that can add a bit of X factor that have been in the Premiership or been in whatever level of rugby before and sort of marry the two together and then over two or three years you sort of whittle that squad back down to your sort of 50 or 45 or whatever it is um, I think if you just go out and sack off all the guys that have got you there and bring in another team you're starting from square one again and no one's got any identity with the club and yeah. if you and vice versa if you just rely on what you've had you don't know if they're, you don't know if they're going to be able to do it so yeah it's a different, I mean I my personal feeling not that anyone cares about my personal feeling but um, <laughs> is to keep the guys that get guys that got you there because mm. the cohesion is yeah, and then maybe something with like yeah, I think that's the key to supplement it with a, with a few, isn't it? And you know, then you can draw on that journey you've been on and the memories you've made and all that sort of carry on, and, which is, you know, which is fundamentally crucial. Um, and it's getting people to come in and buy into that into that uh, existing sort of culture. I think is important. Well, it feels like you've you've almost got a ready-made template in how to do it in Exeter. Yeah. Because the way that Baxter kept a, quite like you say quite a lot of the squad. And has slowly added to it and expanded it, but with what feels like the right kind of players. Yeah. Uh, not even necessarily guys that you thought would be the right play- kind of players going in there. Someone like Thomas Waldrum, when he yeah. went, I, I thought it was a bad signing. Yeah, it felt like a bad signing, but then he's just been unbelievable since yeah. he's gone there. It's interesting. I thought I thought good signing when he did. Went, you, you know, I obviously met him a few times at England camps and stuff. Good guy. Yeah. yeah. Good rugby man. And, you know, from what I know of the Exeter sort of. Environment seems like obviously well obviously fits in well doesn't he and yeah um, just goes well there you know yeah that that's probably the bit that we on the outside miss yeah, yeah. a little bit that good rugby man yeah. uh, and I think I think what they've got there Exeter as well and I, again I don't know so I was just looking from the outside in but like the people they've kept players that have been with them a long time guys like Gareth Steenson you know he's now there played. 200 games for Exeter, yeah. 300 games or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, wasn't he? You know, a couple of props they've got there. Carl Rimmer, I think. Mm. Sturgis only just recently retired. No, I got confused. Was Tony Ma- Window at Exeter? Or was he at Leeds? I think he was at Worcester, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was. I don't know why. Why, why Tony Window? <laughs> Oops. Blue and yellowish Worcester. Yeah. Uh, Leeds. Maybe else will be edited out with that. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, so, so they've now got those players that have got. Huge affiliation with the club of yeah. two or three hundred games, and um, and a bit of excellence come in to, to steer the ship. But that huge geographical area has produced talent as well, like yeah. Henry Slade yeah. and Jack Nald and all these guys, and and so it's you know it's really really worked well, hasn't it for them? Yeah, that model could work in Yorkshire, but they need to get there first, and then they need to stay there. Yeah, and then this it, it takes a lot. Of takes a long time I would I would suggest that Exeter have done it quicker than anyone would ever have thought possible and certainly quicker than anyone else uh, well there's no one else who's really had the success no. the prolonged success I think books will be written about um, about Exeter and what they've done and how they've done it particularly if they win the if, if they win the premiership and they've not got a bad shot no what do you reckon of the the semi-finals coming yeah up? I think it's going to be I think it's going to be really tight. <laughs> I do as well. I think um, yeah. I think there'll be an upset somewhere. I think. When does this get aired? <laughs> I think it'll be after. It'll, it'll be after so. <laughs> I think that um, cool. I think that I would. If I was wasps, I'd be nervous. Yes, I agree. with Yeah, that. I can because you know, who, who would give an extra uh, Leicester a chance? And you know, Leicester and 
in semi-final rugby. You know, they've got the history of it and what they got to lose sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously Saracens going to Exeter, that, that could go either way. Hell of a place to go, as we've just said. Yeah. Um, but a hell of a side going there to do it, so. Yeah. They are incredible Saracens. I mean, basically my two, fav- my two favourite teams and how extra built and how they've done everything. But you've just got to respect Saracens. It doesn't matter, you know, what time of day, the location, the opposition, yeah. they're going to come. They're, they're, they're gonna, yeah. They're going to do something. They're unbelievable, um, and that's again, you know, the, you listen to the guys after they won the final, and it's all about the culture of the place and the the people and the environment, which you know it's fantastic. As a player looking in, you think, yeah. oh, that looks really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chris Ashton didn't look like a man who wants to go to too, no. to too long. <laughs> in that then he went and checked his future bank statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so we're back and we are now fully fueled up with um, our respective Peronis and Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so I can see on your arm you've got a bit of a, a bit of a bandage. Tell yeah. me about this. Yeah. So um, for those that don't know, I broke my arm, my radius, uh, with a full fracture on the first game of the season. That was a Newcastle game. Newcastle away um, on someone's head, and then on the last game of the season broke it again on Francois Lowe's head oh, well, so that is a hard head to the, hit yeah South African bonehead that's like being run over by a Porsche yeah um, he showed no sympathy either, <laughs> played with him for four years and he was ruthless yeah, um, yeah you know so got to, had, the, had to have an operation to put a plate in um, on Wednesday and that's now what day is it now Tuesday so nearly a week and I've just got to plaster covering up the um, couple of stitches so just, just an operation, you don't need a cast. I mean, what's the, well, I think the logic is that the the metalwork that's gone in does the same as a as a cast, you know. So, uh. and by not having the cast, you can kind of keep a bit of dexterity in your hand and keep a few muscles working that otherwise would atrophy by not um, being by used. So, someone said that. I don't know what that means. Someone said it. To me. Waste away. Yeah. I do so, would you, um, <laughs> so would you be fully fit and fully functional for pre-season? Um, probably not fully fit and functional for pre-season but by the end of it should be fully functional yeah now people don't know this about professional rugby players but if you're injured you're often not allowed uh, leave is that correct and are you officially still working now we're yeah we're officially still working but um, you are are you not allowed to leave Uh, no because they want you fit and because yeah. you know you know, I suppose you're a commodity and if you're injured you're no use to anyone so the quicker you can get healed the better but obviously there's a there's logic comes into it where you've been flat out for 40 odd weeks yeah. um, you need a rest you need a break and change of scenery so for me I've had the surgery I've checked in with the medical staff at sale a few times to make sure it's Still attached, and I've still got two arms, and then it's a case of right, have a few weeks and just let it, let it heal, with a few exercises I've got to be doing, uh, you know, just at home. So they're quite good at sort of yeah. recognizing that they don't want you in every day. So you've, you've not had to miss anything because of your arm. I have, unfortunately. Yes, I um, had to miss my brother's stag do to Berlin. Um, oh. Army's best man, so I organised it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I spent a good few months organising what I thought was going to be a a good shindig and then uh, <laughs> they let they flew the day after my op and it was just you know 
Yeah. I would have to go against every sinew of my of my body not to go because <laughs> you know I love a good stag do, but I couldn't. Uh, and you should have taken pictures of yourself around hail. Um, and then slowly release them over Twitter whilst you're in yeah. Ber- whilst you're in uh, Berlin. Yeah, <laughs> sent them to just, just doing false. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I was pretty good by that, but um, I sort of was on the stag vicariously because we had like a WhatsApp group with all mm. the people on it and stuff. Why did you do it to yourself? Just well, I did it because I organised the bloody thing, so I had to uh, make sure they were where they were supposed to be and when they were supposed to be there. So, what would have been the highlights if you were there? Uh, what would have been the highlights really? Uh, we'd they, we found like a good. Um, beach bar on the river, like man-made beach yeah. bar, which looked lively. It's supposed to be amazing in summer yeah. Berlin. Yeah, is they it, went. It, I went in the winter, and I can tell you that I was not impressed. Yeah, you definitely went to the wrong places. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> agree. Right. So, again, not that no one wants to hear this on a rugby interview, but I went on the internet and looked at the like best bars in Berlin. They gave you the list of thirty. So I got all the thirty, put it onto Google Maps, and I had this. I had this map, which I then put on a link to all the lads. Everywhere we went was either shut or rubbish. Really? And it, it, was, it was miserable. And East Berlin is one of the most depressing places I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. they're still recovering, I think, slightly, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think uh, you've got to do your homework. But we found, a, we've, I've been a few times now, we've always enjoyed it, so it's quite a cool place. Mm. Any other good stag do venues to recommend? Yeah, because uh, right in the middle of stag do season. I went to Ibiza for my stag, Did which you? was... Um, Superb. Who um, who um, who is your who is your, be- your best man? My brother was my best man, um, and a couple of sort of ushers, like our joint best men or whatever. You know, we we sold it together really from yeah. schoolmates. But I had some good some good tourists on it. Um, Paul James was, oh, yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. Value on my uh, he was he managed to sniff out the only Welsh bar on Ibiza Island. <laughs> is there such a thing as a Welsh bar? Yeah. Well, if Paul says there is, then it's a Welsh bar. There you go. Um, we went there. We, we went all over. We did some really nice things. Um, it was class. Uh, had some good horses. Two horses on it. Kyle Eastman was good fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leroy Houston. Yeah. He was the nicest man in world rugby. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. Uh, Sam Burgess was on it. Oh wow. Yeah. A lot of the royalty then. Yeah. Well, he told me if that's what you mean. Um, showed him a thing or two. <laughs> Yeah, and we had a we had a good good mix, good group, so it's good what, good trip. What's, what, what is what is Sam just like? Great boy. Wouldn't have been wouldn't have made the stag cut if he yeah. was uh, anything other than that. Yeah, he's good, good lad. Yeah. Dead hard. Well, he just got a big head, so he just <laughs> hit, hits things with his head. Good fun um, on the beers. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, good guy. Um, it, fellow Yorkshireman. So, it, you know, I just wish he'd have stayed at, stayed in rugby for a little longer. Yeah. Um, so do I really I mean it was a strange situation wasn't it really and he you know he had his reasons for doing it and I don't think he fundamentally it's a very short career and I don't think he was happy with what the way he was going or the way he thought it would go so he made the decision and from watching him close up did you like him more when he was in in the pack with you guys I felt like he's more natural more his more natural home than, than playing than playing the yeah. team to this day I still don't really know really I think there's still not been a rugby league player that's come over and played inside back or I might, have, might have really shot myself in the foot inside back or in the forwards particularly well yeah okay. he, never, he never achieved the heights that he did in yeah but Shantane Happy played for England surely Shantane was probably the, the best of them all yeah. really, but like, I said he was a good but one. even Shantane uh, Andy Farrell 
played 12 for England, didn't he? So what are you saying then, that Sam Burgess's son is going to be the guy that makes it for uh, England rugby? That's, He's got a chance. That, that, that would stack up. I, I tell think, you the, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he... he, he his skills were his skills were really like uniquely good, but it was hard to get them into the rugby union. I think, mm. I think the problem is he was such an incredible rugby league player. I mean, you're ne- if you're that good at one thing, you're never going to be, or it's going to be very rare that you're going to be as good at, at that second thing. Mm. Certainly not immediately. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I reckon he had the skills to be very, very good. But like I say, it's just finding a place. For I think one of the things he found the hardest, and he won't mind me saying this, I've said it to him. Is that he struggled with people tackling him around the legs? Really? Yeah. <laughs> How bizarre! I would yeah. have never thought that. Because you can ride if, you, if someone goes up on you, so you can strong, ride yeah. the challenge. Yeah, so strong. Whereas when you're on the floor before you know it, by yeah. being leg, leg tackled. Yeah. It, by Dan Lydia or someone. Yeah, there's not many offloads you can do when you're eating dirt. So. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's, and, and obviously, and they're not ten yards away. And in the in the NRL, they go 13 meters back, not 10 meters back. Do you know who he missed out? Carl Eastman. No, Kyle. Yeah. Who can play a bit? Decent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the best players I've ever played with. Is that, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Well, we were having a chat on... Definitely believe that. We were, on, we were having a chat on, 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 um, on the way here, and we were talking about your England appearances. And one game which stood out for us was, you came on, didn't you? Did, did you start against New Zealand? I started two tests against them in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. And you had Freddie Burns playing, and you had Cali Sun playing, and they both looked like they... Like, like they will beat us for yeah. about 60 minutes yeah I remember that test it was the first test out there in Eden Park and um, it was a strange one because the teams that played in the Prem final their players couldn't play yeah so it's probably, probably why I started to be honest but um, played I don't know if the group just had a sense of sod this let's go and do it or do you know what I mean by that? Like a bit yeah, of a, well, a this is our chance. Let's take yeah, it, and, and that but also a bit of a mutual sort of like, you know, because there is a bit of sort of like this is this is our chance. We might never get it again. Let's go and do it. And, every, and everyone has played their hearts out. And um, I remember it being one of the best experiences in England jersey I've ever had. I, yeah. you know, I got to start against New Zealand at Eden Park, and start the following week, and it was great. And you know, unfortunately, we lost both matches, but by a score. Yeah, yeah. Was it 30-something? Uh, the first one was 26-20. Yeah. 26-20 or something like that. Yeah. Very close. I can't quite remember. Yeah. But, you know, very... We walked off the pitch, off the, off the pitch, very disappointed that we'd just lost, not like that we'd been hammered. Yeah. And, um, that we were pissed off because we didn't win, you know. Yeah. And that's, and that's yeah. as probably a good as indicator as any. So, we, you know, we that was great. But them two, yeah. Freddie Burns, again, fantastic player. Uh, but with Kyle at 12 you've got someone who and it can be hard work because he's yeah. very demanding um, as a instructor as a as a play caller as a organiser but as a forward I've you know someone who wants oh, I like to carry the ball I like to get involved in that attacking shape he's so good at putting you where you need to be telling you what to do and telling you when to do it really so yeah. all you've got to do is actually do it um, so in that regard he's he's um, Definitely one of the better players I've played with in that role, anyway. When you say that, Carl Ferns, um, who I've interviewed in the past, was saying that he's very, very good to, to run off his shoulder yeah. because, he, because he fixes his defender and then gives that little ball. Yeah, he does, yeah. And like what, what he does is, which is quite strange, it takes a little bit of getting used to. And I remember when I first went to Bath and obviously he was there, he, he actually, when he gets the ball in his hand, he moves at 
just above jogging pace. Yeah. Um, but it's all about bringing the defenders onto him and creating holes and all that sort of carry on. But when you're like a bit naive to it, you're just like trying to run onto it as fast as you can. You're often overrun him, and that's what I found anyway. And it took me a few weeks to sort of get get my head around the fact that when he gets the ball, just let him do his thing first. He's just got so much time on the ball. Like, um, I'd love to see more um, more of him because he did very very well at Bath, and he sort of faded away. I think with injuries. And then he's gone over to Wasp and he's just not had as much game time as I'd like to see him have. Yeah. Is he in the 12 shirt? Maybe because Gopeth has so, been so dominant. He's been no, injured he's, he's injured himself, yeah. hasn't he? But, uh, you know, if I was out of Carl playing 12 for England, yeah. I think he's class. So Probably the wrong man to talk to, a bit biased for him. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, we've just got so much time on the ball. Yeah. You know, like when like watching Owen Farrell at the weekend and Vasari's at 10, you know, he's just got so much time on the ball. Which is always a sign of a good player. Yeah, when I have it, yeah, I have a split second. <laughs> <laughs> Everything feels like it's yeah. going a million miles an hour. Don't panic. <laughs> Sale next year. Are you quite excited about how this team's shaping up? Yeah, I am. We, we've had a um, obviously frustrating year, really, um, with how well the guys went last year uh, to finish to where we finished this year. But the the makings of a good side are there. Yeah, I really believe that. Um, and I think having been here a year now from what I understand the off-field stuff is getting sorted out in terms of the owners and it's efforts. an exciting setup. that yeah actually. it is and, and efforts been made to buy stadiums and do all this kind of carry on and get players in and keep players fundamentally which has I think been a problem in the past for the club um, which goes to what we were talking to before about with Yorkshire and things similar setup for sale yeah um, bringing these guys in and then keeping them and They've got a lot of people tied up now on on good deals, Mm. which is great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, um, yeah, I am excited. Yeah, I think we need a bit of... Um, a little bit more experience to come in, which hopefully we've got in some of the signings. Yeah, I mean the two two, two start for me, Johnny Ross and Josh Strauss coming in, massive. Yeah, yeah massive. Yeah, just just and just big blokes as well, like which we need as well in that back five of the scrum. Um, but a bit more experience, just, just to sort of eke out those wins, really. Whereas we've been asking sort of nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year olds to to be our guiding guiding hands, really, which is probably unfair in them. They're still learning the game. And yeah, it's tough, isn't it? As very talented as they are, it is tough, yeah. Mm. But they'll be one year more sort of experience, one year further down the line, and I really think that we can 
you know, I'm, you know, we're not probably just going to go win every game, but certainly give a much better account of ourselves result wise than we than we have done this year. Look, this is going to sound a little bit like a stupid question, but with front rows now, you often see uh, teams utilising six six front rows. So you as a hooker, do you see? Do you see when you have an extra hooker coming in? So obviously you were operating with with Ross Batty for quite a while. Yeah. Do you see that as you and him are are a team and you do you know part the same job? You you do sixty minutes, he does um, just twenty, or vice versa. Or do you see it as com- as competition, as in you want to get that starting that starting shirt? I think it's an interesting question. I think um, it depends on how the club. The coaches, the management, um, put the put that in place. Really, if they sort of if they actually do it as a rotation, then I think it's better to work as a team and work together and get the best out of each other, help each other. You know, the player you're working with might know something about the position you don't, yeah. vice versa. If he tricks up the sleeve, all that sort of thing. And if it is genuine rotation, then you can get your head around it and you can know, right, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to start these two games or one game or whatever it is. Um, then I'm going to be on the bench and you can you can get your head around that and you can work it out. If it's not genuine rotation and it gets into just, he's picked, you're picked up. Yeah. You you play five, you play three, then da, 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 it's gets a little bit blurred and it's hard. If they're trying to say it's rotation and it's not. Mm. If it's just out and out selection, then probably less so because it is what it is yeah, and you both know what it is and you're going to go for it and because I, I felt you and Ross, you and Ross Barty in particular made a really good team and it almost felt like you knew you would, you would do one half and he would do, do, do the second half I don't know if that's how it yeah, felt no, to you yeah well, no it kind of was um, but we were never we were never told we were in proper rotation you see okay mm. so we knew we knew that if we the other one started the other one would get on at about 50-60 minutes or whatever it was but we didn't know who would start week to week. Okay. And that kind of. So the. Look, Ross is a good guy, and I like to think that I. Wouldn't sort of hold a grudge or anything. That we we did work together as a team because you have to do because you work with these guys twenty four seven. So it was never like any bad blood or anything. But we were never, we were never told we were in full rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I think if you look at the Saris guys, they they sort of know when they are and when they aren't. And yeah. I think it's it's tough because you've got to have the players to be in a full rotation system. You know, not every club can be. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just how the coaches sort of put it out there, really. Because next, I assume next ne- next year there will be some sort of rotation because they're bringing Mark Jones back, and people who aren't in the game don't necessarily know much about Mark Jones, but he's incredibly un- uh, um, underrated. Yeah. And actually, I'm very excited for the sell season next year. One of the two reasons is because of the options at hooker. Think, think, think it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, no, well, I'm looking forward to um, working with Jonesy. He's a popular lad from the guys that are here from when he was here before. Um, all seem um, to talk very highly of him, and I played against him a number of times. Mm. And we always had a few good battles back in the day, so yeah, it'd be good. Um, you know, and I think, I think the game is so tough now that to ask a front rower to play 80 minutes every week is, is too much. Were you impressed with the performances of, of Mako and um, David Zirakashvili on the weekend? Yeah, unbelievable. Seven, yeah. Seven minutes each. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Mako's fantastic, isn't he? Um, yeah. I like it because he looks like he shouldn't be able to do seven <laughs> He's incredible, wasn't he? Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. He's, um, 
uh, you know, and that proves that he's got an unbelievable rugby brain as well as as well as incredible fitness and strength. So you it's know, just not fair that there's two of them. He's genuinely yeah. is not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Vastly more experienced than he says he is because he's definitely not 25. <laughs> yeah. He's got the same age as Stanley Jean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, it'll be good. It'll be good to have that have that competition in. You know, I, I'm a guy that I'll always want to try and start the games. You talk about rotation, but yeah. deep down I know that I'd like to. Unless, yeah. unless I know I'm in a rotation, as I sort of tried to allude to before. Yeah. Do, do you ever hear about players, uh, or, or, or in fact, do you know any players that relish just being on the bench? I don't mean that from a lazy point of view or a negative point of view. I mean that by, right? For instance, Eddie Jones um, named his substitute, substitutes finishers. Mm. I think that's such an important role now. You, you know, there, there is a role for a guy who can play. 30 minutes flat out and make a huge difference I wouldn't be surprised if you see guys carving out careers doing that yeah I guess it's a extrapolation of the phrase impact sub isn't it yeah. um, I think the phrase finishes is I don't know it doesn't sit well with me I think it's you not like it to be honest but um, I think you know because there's no one in that it's, it's kind of in my eyes it's kind of like glossing it up to those lads oh yeah. you're you're our finishers you're our come on and win the <laughs> yeah. game well if I was the best player I'd be starting yeah mmm See, I find that interesting. I, I don't necessarily think that, that that is the case because you could be a different body shape. You could carry a bit more weight. You could, you know, be the yeah, maybe, game. but I, yeah. Then therefore, you're probably not the best player. Yeah, I'm definitely with you, Rob. If, if, if you're if, if you're his best player, you're going to start the game. Yeah. I look at rugby league and you see the guys who come on at, at the interchange, and they're usually bigger blokes that come yeah. on. But like they can go off minutes. again. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's different. different. It's different. It is. Because they can play 40 minutes, but they can have two rests yeah. in between See, those 40 minutes. I mean, you've, you've been playing with um, Mike Phillips this season. And I always think, like, when Mike Phillips is playing with Dwayne Peel, Dwayne Peel can run the show for the first 60, and then you bring on Mike Phillips for, for mm. the last 20, and he'll just start muscling people off. Yeah, no, you, the there are people that obviously it's suited to more than others. Mm. Um, and Mike's an incredibly competitive guy, and yeah. come on, it... He's, put, he's coming on and he's mussing people off the ball because he's pissed off he's not started the game yeah. I would imagine I was going to say but I can't imagine that sits well with my feelings to answer your original question is I don't think I know anyone that would willingly sort of put themselves into that role as you know want to be a yeah. sub every week be labelled as a yeah. career finisher I don't deny that it's an incredibly <laughs> important position yeah uh, role within a 23-man squad to have, mm. but I do just think that if if you're the best player, you're in the 15. You know, obviously you can have two players of equal position, equal quality, I guess, and you get into that logic of rotation again. But mm. if the starting 15 after 60 minutes is 40 points up, you don't, you know, you could, <laughs> you don't really need finishers, do you? No, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So they're they're obsolete then. Yeah. See, down in level eight, we've we've started using it. Maybe even level, maybe even some batches level. I think you get interchanges rather than substitutions. Right. So uh, it's a system which I've been playing in. I just, I, I just love the idea of coming off the bench, making the impact, and then you know going for a shower. Because you yeah. like a rest. I do like a rest. I, I, <laughs> I think it is when I'm on the field. I just work too hard, Phil. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think in my personal experience, there's, there's nothing better than starting and finishing a game, and it's something this last uh, year at Sale. Once I got over my arm, I've actually played probably more 80 minutes than I've done for a number of years. Mm. Um, and you're not, you're not alone in this. No, there's been quite a few. Yeah, Ross Harrison Ross plays Harrison 80 minutes most weeks. You know, that might be yeah. down to all kinds of reasons. You know, I've asked Steve Diamond that, but 
there, there is something really sort of rewarding about it, but I also know that the body's knackered after yeah. a few weeks of it. So yeah. um, you do need the subs, and, and obviously the best teams in the world have got the best squads, not just 15s, so that goes without saying. Really. Tell me about the differences, in fact, better put. Describe the different cultures which you've been exposed to, because obviously you're at Sale now. I think Sale's a little bit, a little bit unique compared to some of the other clubs in the Premiership. How do they compare to Bath, and how does Bath compare to, how does Bath um, compare to Wasps? I think I was at Wasps at a time that was I was very very fortunate to be there. Mm. Uh, there were some incredible players um, in that squad: uh, Delalio, King, Fraser Waters, Shawsey, you know, Tom Reese. Oh, the, the, one of the biggest losses yeah. to English rugby. Yeah, Saki, Van Gisberg. You know the list yeah, is yeah, the list yeah. goes on and on. Josh Lucy, absolute class yeah. players. Uh, and coming through, and I came through with that academy. I've been moved there at seventeen with the likes of Haskell, Reese, Tom Evans, Don Wall, Doc Cipriani. Mm. Um, really, really talented bunch, um, all of them, and. Um, the culture there was a strange one, really, and it was new to me because, it, you know, being from rural East Yorkshire, moving to London, you had this yeah. professional sports team that could also get lost within a big city and mm. no one would know who you were as soon as you walked out of Acton training base. You know, you, you were no one, which was good and bad. You know, yeah. probably more more good than bad, I think. Mm. It was allowed you to just go to work, do your rugby and leave, and uh, leave it at the training ground. And you could do probably more things as a team within the within the city. Um, whereas when I went to Bath, it was, you know, there was equally as good, equally as good players there, but you'd go for a coffee and yeah. everyone knew who you were basically. That's a really yeah. good point. Actually. Um, and it's such a small place, and there was no escaping it. And when you won, it was great. And when you lost, it was not so great. When you were at Bath, do you get a sense of the history of the club more, more than others? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the club, you know, it's very interesting. Like the fans, the game is so different mm. now until mm. from when that Bath era was unbelievable. Yeah. And um, what they did in that era was incredible. Isn't it just? Um, but I think, you know, it's different now and there's, it's not. There is, there is something very special about Bath though, going over that bridge yeah, it's on a match day. It's just, it's like nothing else. It's an incredible place to play and, the, you know, it's full every week and um, look, that's another thing that was different to Wasps, you know, we played out at High Wycombe, yeah. trained in, London, in West London and the whole thing was, maybe I was more suited to that, I don't know, that, but the sort of, live, I lived in Central Bath, played in Central Bath, Sometimes driving out to Farley for a day, which is where they train outside, of, was was a nice experience just to get out of Bath. Yeah. Um, it was. Um, I had a brilliant four years there, but ultimately, when it was time to leave, it was it was time to leave. So, do you think it's fair to say you, you struggled a bit with the, you know, with the claustrophobic type? A little bit, yeah. A little. I did a little bit, yeah. Um, you know, I never had any bad experiences or anything. You know, in that mm. in that regard, really, it was. But I just. And even if it wasn't there, I felt like it was there. Um, that sort of feeling of claustrophobia, and yeah. just moving up here now, and I can, you know, get on the train going to Manchester, or it, I'm sort of in the suburbs where we are now. You know, it's not, no one knows 
what rugby is. <laughs> it's all yeah. football, really. Yeah, so yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, if you wander around Manchester City Centre, yeah, there'd be you know, very, very few people yeah. who'd recognise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, and and I guess I quite like that really to be under the radar. Could yeah. you imagine what it'd be like if you were, for example, probably the worst uh, New Zealand an All Black international, yeah. Yeah. living no, in, living in New Zealand? Well, everyone I've. Some of my best mates in rugby have been Kiwis guys. Look at guys like Joe Ward and Marty Vilu, guys that I played with at Wasps. Yeah. Um, Joe Ward, fellow hooker. Um, oh yeah. He came over and when we, we hit it off, going back to what we were talking about before, we worked together and he taught me a lot of things. And we had Rafa Ibanez as well. But Joe used to say that just been in been in um, New Zealand. He used to he used to say it was like a fishbowl. Yeah. And that's why you know at whatever however old he was at the time, twenty seven or six or something came over to England playing Super Rugby in the prime of his career because it was just, it's just not for him because mm. um, a lot of people they don't want the they don't want that celebrity feeling to it some people do some people don't I mean it's great when you get good things but yeah, it's not yeah. great when you get bad things and if you can't handle the bad things I guess you don't want it do you? yeah yeah that's a good mm. point actually if you've got, if you've got uh, uh, thin skin or you're a bit vain much like me like any any sort of criticism of, of, of anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love it when people say good things about the podcast, but I equally hate it when yeah. they say, say bad things. I can completely understand that. <laughs> you want to hunt people down? I, I literally want to go on the house. I want to <laughs> drag them up uh, into the garden. You're going to get a barrage of bad <laughs> comments now. Just that, 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 that'll be it. Yeah. Leave your name and address. You'll come round. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I've been very lucky that very very lucky. I've you know still hopefully got a number of years to go. Don't get me wrong, but. Very, very lucky that from the last 13 years, I've played for three what I think are quality clubs. Mm. Uh, well, four really. Sorry, you know Leeds. Leeds. I started out with Leeds. You know, I only played a couple of games. But London Wasps was an incredible time in my life. I went down to London. I've been there two or three times before in my life at 17 years old and played yeah. and went down there on a one-year contract at 17 and stayed for eight years. Was it James Wade that picked you up? No, I, before Wade went down there, I was, was it? Uh, there was a guy called Rob Smith and Alan Powell um, with the academy coaches, and um, Gatlin was in charge. And then uh, when I went, he then just left, so Ian McGeekin came in and, and Sean, and you know, because I, you know, I was a young lad and that sort of formed me really as a my sort of opinion on what rugby should be. Yeah, because uh, because you were sort of so impressionable. I guess, uh, and then I went on to Bath, and it's it's kind of going from Wasps was a club where it was they had the mentality of like us against the world because there were nomads. They didn't own the training ground. They didn't own the ground. You know, you'd come in on a Monday morning, and all the stuff would be there left from the amateurs at the weekend. And oh, really? Yeah, it was a real spit and sawdust sort of environment at Twyford Avenue. To a place at Bath where it was more expectation even though Wasps had won four premierships and two Heineken Cups and whatever in that period when I was there um, at Bath there was almost more expectation because of the prestigious history and that being in the town and that sort of feeling um, so it was two very different sort of cultures really and then now being at Sale it's a little bit it, feel, between, it feels a little bit in between but probably more like the Wasps days of old where it's yeah. We're sort of cobbling together a, a band of lads to try and do something. Do you, really. do you, do you get that impression in Do they do they make much of the um, oh you know, you know um, we're unfashionable and we're, is that something would you guys talk about? Um, a little bit. 
a little bit. I think it's an easy thing to try and use to motivate um, every now and again. But it's one of those ones where if Sale want to not be classed as unfashionable and and all that, they need to stop talking about it. Yeah, mm. I, I, th- I think that they, that, that they like it. And, you know, as someone who watches Sale occasionally, I quite like talking about it too. Yeah, you know, it kind of, you know, I, I, I like the storyline. Yeah. I, I like it. You know, and I like it as well, that whole chip on your shoulder and you can use it to your advantage and all that sort of stuff, don't get me wrong, but... Think, you know, it's a bit like don't talk about pink elephants, isn't it? If you keep talking about being unfashionable, you're going to be unfashionable. Yeah. <laughs> when you were away, Rob, um, me and Phil were talking, and I was just saying I want to interview Alan Paver because I think he's one of the UK's rugby legends that nobody knows about. Have you ever heard of Alan Paver? I have heard of Alan Paver, yes. I uh, met him once, infamously. In a, <laughs> in a Clapham bar, we you know, we had a night night out on the beers together in Clapham. It, it came about he knew the guy that was at Wasp for a period called Nick Adams, a prop. Who's that? It's uh, it was a prop from I played a lot at somewhere. Nick not, Adams, not Cornish Pirates. No, no, it wasn't quite. I don't think he played uh, for Cornish Pirates. Okay, Penzance, Red Roof, somewhere down Lord's, there, maybe. Uh, anyway, he knew. Alan Paver, Alan Paver came for a Saturday night, and, and you had no idea that you conquered the London and then never came back again. <laughs> Saturday night in Infernos. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's got like the record for the most amount of um, champion championship appearances, National League appearances. Yeah, which is which is quite incredible actually. I mean, that's no mean feat. Oh, incredible! Yeah, yeah. Particularly in the front row, I've been going some. Yeah. We've got about ten minutes left for this chat, so there's two questions I'm, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the serious one first, which, which, which rugby fans want to know about, and then I'm going to ask the more jokey one later, which the rugby fans definitely want to know about. Okay. So let's start with this. Uh, Sale have got a good England contingent uh, going over to... Where, where are they going? To Argentina. Argentina. So, well, there's a very good contingent in the Brighton training squad yeah. at the moment, um, and then they've got a few going over to Argentina. Who do you think is going to turn heads for that England, England staff? And you can't t- and you can't say all of them. Um, interesting. How? I th- I think I think if given the opportunity to play, I don't think he is actually in the tour contingency. I think he's in the training squad contingency. Oh, that's interesting. If he was given the opportunity to play. With other international players in the international scene, I think Ross Harrison would go well. Interesting. Why? I think he's. I think he's made for international rugby. He's fit as a fiddle, mm. strong. Um, you're getting better and better in terms of that all-round, all-court game. I think um, as a front row, the front rowers need to have now. Mm. He's young, can still uh, sort of learn and improve, and I think he's just a. He's just he's just made for that international environment now, where you know, tell him to run that way, he'll run that way. Yeah, <laughs> can, can, uh, I think he's I think he's class. Yeah. Can I ask? He started the last game against Bath at Tighthead. Yeah, didn't he? Was that his first game at Tighthead? I don't think so. No, I think not Did this he? year it was, but I think he played there in previous years. Yeah. Ah, uh, is that going to be a long term? No, or is it like, just it, a trial? Because a few or? guys are injured. So. Right. So, so he, he was, was purely. Against, he, was, he was up against Nathan. Oh, how was Nathan Cap? No, he was up against. Uh, Benno Urbano and then uh, okay. and then um, someone came off the bench I can't remember who it was now 
Because there are certain names that go around when I, I didn't see the the bath game. Uh, did Nathan not play? He's injured at the minute, I think. And Nate, yeah, well, his his name keeps on coming up as yeah. just a, a monster. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and Nathan's a lot like Ross. They're very similar ilk players. Um, I think, and having played with them both, they're both very very similar. Both very fit, both very strong, both like to have their hands on the ball, both carry, um, both play could play eighty minutes. Ross does every week, mm. um, pretty much. Yeah, so they're both the that sort of looser position un- underneath the Mako and the Marlas of this world. There's, there's, I think there's a bit of strength. Oh, mm. um, and actually, neither of them have made England so. So there's <laughs> two or three <laughs> above them. So um, maybe that suggests more where I think you should be picked. Um, tell me this, because obviously what goes on in the front row isn't easily recorded or easily observed by uh, by the fan. Who are the guys that you re- really respect, particularly at scrum time, who we, j- we just don't see? I think still I still playing now uh, in the Premiership. Anyone. Probably, probably just someone who is maybe goes slightly under the radar. That's going to be probably leaving. So it's, it's Petrus Duplessis. Oh, okay. Para. Uh, I think he's. Um, You've got to go a long way to find a better tight than him. Mm. That's a, that's a really a really um, really good shot actually. I think London, he's going to London Irish next year, I think, isn't he? He is, yeah. I think they've got a hell of a sign in there. Um, you know, I know he's you know, knocking on a bit without doing him any disrespect, but if he can do a job at tight for them, he'll be brilliant. Mm. Um, do, you, do you know what his kind of side interest is? Acting. Uh, well, mm. no, not, not pro wrestling right. and not the acting, but um, he's actually massively interested in like neck strength and, and physiotherapy. Yeah, really? Well, so he, he trained as a physio. Yeah. So I played with Para for about five years. Right, yeah. Um, and he trained as a physio. Was that at Sedgley Park? At Sedgley, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah before he sort of I think it's great that you know, he's Sedgley done that and then, and then yeah, you know, just proves that that pathway is open. Yeah. You can get there. I know it's bloody hard, obviously. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good point, actually, because... You know, when I've and it's gone more that way than it was ten years ago, for sure. Do you think? Yeah. So when I speak to lads, well, quite a few lads, uh, I'll, well, I'm not going to give you any names as such, but... Ask them, like, what club did you play your first senior game for? And a lot of the lads will, will actually say, my first senior game was at Sale or was at Wasps. Yeah. And I think they're kind of missing the out there, not playing yeah. it. You know. I, well, I, think, I think there is that generation now, and that's like myself. Um, might but fall into that got, category. But I mean, you've my, got your club back in. Yeah, yeah. And I, my first senior game was for them, but, you know, really, once I got going, I was going as a professional, mm. not as a sort of amateur, but. I think I think that's going full circle again a little bit now. I think that I think that the the whole academy thing is is not much really cost by any stretch, goodness. But I think I think they're looking at players that are, rather than rather than signing them at seventeen, eighteen, it's actually well, who's good at twenty twenty one as well, mm. and, and we can get them in and, and can make them into into quality players, make men into good players rather than young kids. I think there's going to I think there's going to be a split down either. Either route. Yeah, Whereas before, yeah. I think ten years ago, it was all about well, let's sign people at fifteen and make them rugby players. Yeah, I, I do wonder if it's going to go. So I think like you can get your outside back, sorry, you can get your backs and your back row early, 
because athleticism is basically athleticism, yeah. you know, that, that is that. I don't think you can identify front row talent until I, I completely agree, late. yeah. And I think, mm. I think you, the guys in the Premiership, and you can look around, you see a few of the ones that have been just taught to scrummage yeah. at a certain age are the weaker ones. The guys that have gone out and learnt it and mastered it over a period of time are, are the better better ones. Doing a, doing a season against Alan Paver <laughs> would have been a hell of a well, doing one night with him in Clapham <laughs> was enough. Hell of an apprenticeship. Yeah. That, that's got I learnt my, my stripes then. How important is it for you as a as a hooker to play prop? Because I believe you, you have played. Not only as a young kid I played prop, yeah. Um, I was trying to kid Steve Diamond the other day that instead of Ross Harrison playing tight for an extra, <laughs> an extra couple yeah, of quid on the pe- extra couple of quid on the paycheck, I would yeah. have taken the, the uh, John exact- John Schmidt rule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, I made he, this he didn't buy point it. To um, I can't, I can't remember who now. I was like, why don't you just move across the scrum? You know, have a game, an, an easy game at tight head, and then demand tight money come next contract negotiation. I love the logic. If you can find me an easy game, I'm going to play in the next 12 <laughs> months at Titan. LV Cup. Next, it still next won't LV be easy, will it? It still wouldn't be easy. Just, yeah. I am not naive enough to think that playing Titan. But I tell you what, when you play in a team that's got um, you know, good props and a good tight head, and it, you know, it's, I'm not naive enough to say it's a good tight head. You need a good tight head lock, the flanker, mm. all that side of carry on to make a good scrum. But if, if, that, if the scrum is locked down and you're in it, you, it's easy to not appreciate it. Yeah. But if you're in a team that hasn't got it, it's very easy to think we need it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been lucky to play, play in teams that have always had decent enough tight Is there any, any guy in your mind who sticks out as the guy that you really enjoy playing as, as your tight head? Um, well, I've played a, a number of games with Phil Vickery mm. in the Wasps days, um, which is obviously great. You know, unbelievable guy. Um, but the scrum laws were different then, you know. That was that was, uh, that was the, the hit probably six, seven years ago, or eight years ago when he was still playing. And I'd sort of broken onto the scene, and but yeah, we had the hit, and with the word engage, not set, was in there, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, crouch. it was um, pause engage, no, yeah, crouch, yeah, crouch, pause was, engage, yeah. It's not crouch, I think set, crouch, crouch bound, set. set, yeah. Um, I don't know what the difference is really, but they. You know, so he was great. Um, more recently, Davy Wilson probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fired up Davy Wilson is 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 good fun. Yeah. Moose, uh, the moose. He's uh, he's a law unto his own. He's big Davy, but a great a great guy. Great. And I love I love playing in that front row actually with Davy, myself and Paul James mm. uh, and and Catty and, and, and um, mm. as you were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, I mean Paul James, another guy. I'm sure he uses the word un- underrated. But eight times tonight, but he really is. I mean, yeah. I don't think Bath realised how much of a loss he he was until he went. I think they probably did actually. You reckon? Yeah, I think they knew he was going to be a big loss, and he was. Um, but he had his reasons for going back to Wales, and, and and that was it. Yeah, he was class. I remember. The, <laughs> so he was he joined Bath the same time as me, and I turned up and we there in pre-season and doing line-out practice. And uh, Paul James's nickname is Assy. Why? This is as imaginative as it gets in South Wales. <laughs> he's got a big ass, so he gets called ass. But he's, he's got it tattooed down his arm. Oh, obviously. Assy. 
Not in uh, not in Hebrew no, no, or no. Mandarin <laughs> or anything like that. Just as it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, legend of a bloke. And anyway, we're doing line outs. And doing line outs. And you know, like the China was trying to like impress and look good. And I'm like, right, line out. On, set on Paul because I'd only met him like 20 minutes ago. So I was like, right, line outs on Paul. And he makes a mark. And you do a line out and you throw it in and move on to the next one. Right, right, Paul, set the mark there. Two or three line outs in new club both of us he just stops the session walks over to me and goes if you call me Paul one more time I'm going to knock you out but the name's Assie look I've got it written on my arm there is a certain like South Walesian a South Walesian thing going on you've got to have got to have a tattoo you've got to yeah. be a big bloke you've got to be fairly confrontational yeah. it's no wonder they're pretty good rugby is it? I love playing with Assie great guy you know and you always felt protected yeah. even though I'd like to think I could yeah, sort of, you know, hold my own at least, but he would, um, he would definitely have finished it off. I think. <laughs> uh, how 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 important is it for you as a hooker to lead the scrum? The reason I ask that is because I've actually watched you train uh, during the sale press days, um, and what stood out, out to me is actually like how loud you are and how you actually um, lead the whole lead the whole session. Yeah, um, I should have some more money, shouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I think it's an interesting point, really. I've often wondered this: like, why does the hooker get sort of tagged with the lead in the scrum? Because every club I've been at, not through it being me, but um, just the, the position as sort of the hooker sort of yeah takes charge well, of the scrum. Like, why does the hooker throw in? I mean, what you know? Well, yeah. Let's not go into that too much, otherwise I'll be out of a job before. <laughs> long, but, um, but yeah, you know, the tight ends obviously have a role, and the loose heads and everything. But it's often down to the hooker to sort of verbalise it, and I don't really know why that is, but it's something that under. So actually, when I went from when I went from, was at Wasps, I was probably more. I would have said my interest was more in the loose play, yeah, um, charging around, trying to have as many carries and tackles as possible, and all that sort of stuff. And then when I went to Bath, I, I don't really know what happened, but maybe a bit of age kicked in, and uh, my environment, I got under Neil Hatley's wing a little bit and just became really really interested in the scrum and probably no disrespect to the wasp scrum then but we had a good one <laughs> at Bath which helped some great uh, and Neil Hatley's quite, and, quite, and quite some coach Neil too. was a hell of a coach a lot, got a lot of time for him as a bloke and a coach and and together we and, it, and that coincided with the laws changing to crouch behind set and mm. between the sort of probably eight guys that were there at the time the front rowers and Neil we managed to put our heads together and come up with a plan that made us a pretty decent scrum for a year or two um, and from there really I kind of just really took an interest in it and then now coming to sale um, I'm just trying to sort of I guess pass on that knowledge Is, you said you came up with a plan is there anything that, that you can do if you're not a particularly good scrummaging unit plan wise to make you into a good scrummaging unit um, yeah I think there is I think um you know, it depends how far you're willing to cheat, probably. <laughs> um, you know, fundamentally, if 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 the if the scrums were if scrums were unpenalty, you couldn't you couldn't win a penalty at scrums. Yeah. Then, like the most powerful, the most organised scrum would always win. I think, mm-hmm. in sort of layman terms, but because they are because you can win penalties in free kicks at scrums, you can. There's ways. To get into that, and I mean, we could we leave another podcast to talk mm. about this. Yeah, yeah. It's um, 
but you know there are things you can do obviously the quick strike sometimes some teams the quick strike some teams try and push over it some teams just go for the pure long scrum without lifting any feet up and things like that and when you say long scrum what does that mean as in what I mean by that is the ball just gets put in no into strike. the channel and no one's prepared to move their feet to strike the ball so therefore it's whoever whichever pack I'll sort of because as soon as there's so much pressure in there now there's so much pressure in there now as soon as someone i.e. hooker lifts the foot or it might even be a prop if it's stuck in a channel mm. lifts the foot up to try and strike the ball back so you, is that so a huge disadvantage yeah. and is that's that when it suddenly goes straight back so we see the ball and it, it might be my favourite sight in rugby the ball gets put in and nothing happens yes yeah, that's it because there's so much pressure in there that mm. if someone lifts their foot up you can't lift your foot up because you know that the scrum will then go backwards at the rate of knots and that's what people don't see and that's what irritates me so one of my biggest bugbears in rugby is you have commentators of yesteryear <laughs> oh, shall I say yeah. just talking about we'll just strike the ball it's not that simple you, break, you strike the ball you risk like getting folded in half yeah <laughs> so you know you try and eke it out it, it's just rubbish when they it's a different game the, the lightest hooker in the league now is probably 18 stone they are getting well is that not Harry Thacker he must be small He's been playing back row though yeah, he's this a year. Now. Yeah, you, you've actually got a few guys out, haven't you? Cam Neal and TJ, you aren't yeah. quite, you know, they're not your size, certainly. No. Um, but, you know, the, it's so much bigger and there's so much pressure in there. It's not just that easy. You have to, you know, it's a real skill to be able to strike the ball. Mm. Um, maybe and, it wasn't so, so long ago. Or So, what is the mindset when that ball comes in and you're just fixed there? I mean, are you? Yeah. Is it kind of brinkmanship when you bring bring that foot up to strike the ball if it's your ball? Yeah, I mean, it all happens really quickly because you know it's only you're only in there for ten seconds max probably. But and ten seconds is a long. But it's a long, long time, time if you're yeah. sort of holding up at nine hundred kilos. <laughs> <laughs> um, you put it like that, yeah, I guess so. Which it is, you know. That's what it is, you know. If every man's hundred and fifteen kilos, it get, yeah, get to that that weight, but. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those ones of you got a hit, and if you've got to realise it very quickly, if you've won the hit, if you've won the hit and you're through the scrum, you can do what you want. But if it's if it's equal or you're or you're behind the hit, you you've got to try and position yourself to get your foot up quickly and back so you don't yeah. lose too much ground or you know. So it's a real sort of game of chess within three or four seconds. I, I and wish, that's a real front row of comment, that isn't it? <laughs> no, no. I, I really wish scrummaging was appreciated more because it's what it is literally the thing which makes rugby union unique. Do you know what? I totally agree. And what, one of my things as well. I'm getting on the old high horse here, but you watch TV, you watch a game of rugby on TV now, and there's so much airtime put on to like, oh, it's another scrum. Yeah, but why? That's beautiful. Well, I'm not saying it's beautiful. Or it's not. I mean, I think it is. It is but the commentators now, in my opinion. They should be. If you watch a game of rugby league, right? You can have a game of rugby league that finishes four-two, yeah. and you watch it, and it's a dire game. But their commentators champion it, yeah. And they say, yeah, it's, they, yeah, they do. It's Eddie, a game of attrition. There's Eddie never been Steve a ga- there's never been a bad game of rugby league watched in according the life. According to Steve, according yeah, to Eddie, Eddie and Steve, Steve are the two most enthusiastic people I've <laughs> exactly. ever heard. I would just like to see the or hear, should I say, the commentators of rugby union sort of championing scrummaging a bit more because it's a fundamental part of our game, and I appreciate everyone wants to see ball in play, but. That it's such a huge part of the game in terms of winning a game of rugby that I, I think it should be championed more. I've got a game for you. I, 
I think you might be in... No, you were on the lo losing side, I think. Did you play Bath versus Sale? I mean, you would have been at Bath at the time. And you had that seven-minute passage of play. Yeah, I was playing, yeah. Oh, it's, my, it's quite But my friend Henry Thomas should have been red card. That's the one. <laughs> that is, that is literally about, my favourite passage of play ever. Yeah. yeah, well, that goes down to what you're talking about before. It's, you know, it's... Who's it's predatorial. It's who's willing to cheat and sort of... Not cheat, but... That's the wrong word, but sort of get away with... You know, Bath had the better scrum. If you ask any sale person that, yeah. they would admit that. Really? Bath, Bath had the better scrum. We were dominant. How, how are they doing two, it? Two, Seven two, minutes. Two or three... Well, each scrum's only ten seconds, so it was three or four minutes in between each scrum. But, like, one or two decisions, and you get... You go down the whole route of... Referees fundamentally don't want to give scrum penalties because they don't know what they're about. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think, and they don't. They're not confident enough to give a lot of scrum penalties. So, it's easier rather than give a penalty try. It's easier to give a penalty to the defence. Sale were on the defence at the time. Hang on, they don't. Sale weren't. Sale were attacking. No. They were attacking in the back corner. Really? Yeah. So, so there, they, there was periods of both. In no, no. It was seven minutes towards the end. Sale were attacking into, into the back corner. Henry Thomas comes on, then immediately comes off because he, get, he gets yellow carded, and then whoever it was for Bath come, comes back on. Sale go over, score, score try, and win the game. That must be a different game. I, I definitely know this because it is literally my favourite game. <laughs> it's my favourite seven oh, well, minutes anyway, of Premiership for. Well, then, what I've just said is completely. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I, I think you've just actually hit the nail on the head. So, from someone as you can tell who doesn't spend much time in a scrum, the problem for me is. It doesn't seem to be refed consistently. No. So, no, no. so I can watch two scrums go down, and I think, right, that guy's at fault there. He's binding on the arm, or he's folded, or whatever. And I watch two things identical, and one time penalty goes one way, the other yeah. time penalty goes yeah. the other way. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, it's just it's way too technical for its own good. It's way, it, and this is someone who's in it who's it made a career. Yeah, it should be in terms of actually doing it, but refereeing it, I think, for the sake of the game, shouldn't be. You should just reward the dominance. Like, who yeah. cares if he's bound on the shirt, yeah, yeah, yeah. bound oh, on the arm, yeah, 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 bound on the ear? He could bind anywhere. Like, that. if he goes forward or back, he's stronger than the other guy. He wins. Yeah, that's exactly what we, yeah, we yeah, spoke. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we sat down with David Flatman. So, he made basically the, exactly like, the same point. It doesn't matter if you're binding on the arm, the ear, yeah, or wherever. Yeah, exactly. Like, just re reward dominance, that, yeah. and that's all as a pack you really want. Yeah, and all as a game, the game should want. You should want to. Reward the most dominant side. Yeah, completely agree with that. Yeah, I can, I can uh, and and agree. and if you're not very dominant, then you have to be really skilled, which will be a skill in itself of a quick feed and a quick strike and away play the number eight. You watch Gloucester versus um, Stad, Stad. Stad in the final. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable from Richard Hubbard and Ben Morgan. The scrum, the scrum was yeah. not even a second long. The feed to the strike <laughs> to away because they were getting pumped. Yeah. Um, you know, a bit strong, but they were they were under pressure from Stad, so get the there ball away. Start, I mean, like, and Morgan was in Channel One, and he was away. Yeah, I, I I never understand why we don't see more of more of Channel One ball. Well, it's just the just the transference of power. If he's between the two locks, yeah, it goes. But it's so quick. I mean, it, it, more teams are going like that because it's there's so much pressure in there now that on your ball, it's easier to it's easier to be opposition. It's easier for it to be more aggressive. On opposition ball than your own ball, yeah. Because yeah. you then you don't have to lift your foot up. Yeah, you can just push. There's no strike. So, what are the kind of tactics that you employ as a scrummager? I mean, do you do, 
as a group, you talk about things like get it to the eight feet, and then when the back row come off, the, then you go forward. I mean, what, what kind yeah, of yeah I mean, you, it, you know, it obviously depends on who you play in. So, Gloucester had obviously done their analysis on the Stade Francais team, I guess, and sort of thought, look, it's going to be in our best interest to get this ball in and away. They might that might have been because they thought they were going to be under pressure. It might have been because they wanted to just run them around as much as they could or whatever. But they came up with that tactic. You Gloucester watch Gloucester the next week and they'll keep it in there. Mm. Yeah. So you know it's all it's all different um, from week to week, and I think it, you, the best teams can react on the pitch. Mm. You know, like we've spoken this year about getting that quick strike if we can, but then. I mean that communication between hooker and number eight to to keep the ball in the scrum. If it's if if I say keep it in, if I say get it out quick because we're under the pump, mm. then you get it out. And quick. whose decision is that? Um, I think is, it, I think it goes. Is that yours? When you go in, will you say channel one, channel two, or will you tell them what you want? In this environment here, I, I would make that decision of like whether I'm going to strike for it or whether we're going to push for it or whether we're going to just leave the ball in there and have that long scrum like we spoke about before. But once that ball's at the number eight's feet, then that decision, again in this environment, sale um, moves to him. Yeah. And you know the prime example is if you're on the five meter line going for a pushover, and he he takes it out, then that's his decision. He's got to, mm. and we've got we've got to back him on that because we're not the ones that are controlling it. We're just pushing. But equally, he's not pushing. He's just controlling it. Yeah. So it's the two way thing, but. It, 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 He's got to have that responsibility because the ball's in his possession. I could literally talk talk about this for hours. I find it absolutely fascinating. So I said you had ten minutes. Twenty five minutes later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is that how long it's been? We've got past the uh, uh, question. Um, <laughs> last question. I say it's joking. I say that everyone wants to know about it. I lie. It isn't that jokey, and probably only anyone wants to know about it. Um, Sam Burgess coming over to Bath. Allegedly, there was a PowerPoint presentation given to the players before he uh, before he came. I don't know if this is true or not. Um, can you tell me is it true? And if it was true, tell me about the presentation. What was in it? <laughs> um, there was a presentation. What, 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 it wasn't. Was it wasn't a PowerPoint. Okay. It was just a um, BBC Sport rugby league highlight package. <laughs> <laughs> that was on bbcsport.co.uk forward slash rugby league and uh, it was it was some some clips of Sam playing rugby league and I'm pretty sure I could google some better clips <laughs> than, were, than were found out he was like yeah like some of Sam's rugby league clips are obviously incredible like you mm. know unbelievable player you know starry eyed man and all that kind of carry on if yeah. you give it a google but they found some clips of him seemingly getting tackled like really easily and, <laughs> uh, this was, it just barely makes it yeah, the game it, yeah it was really some really average clips <laughs> they, that were the ones they decided to show us because you know no one in Bath knew who he was yeah, so rugby, yeah, rugby, rugby union heartland yeah so, actually yeah. no one in, in Bath knows anything about rugby league no, no. that is very fair to yeah, say and um, you know it, 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 was a bit, it was bizarre it was bizarre but um, they did it and the rest, that, the rest is history. Was that immediately prior to his arrival? Or? No, it was a good few months before. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. What was your What was your reaction to the um, 
to the presentation. Well, I think a few of the lads were a bit like, "What was that?" Because it was <laughs> it, the clip. You know, the clips weren't good clips. Like as I say, you could you could go on and find if you if you it's not anyone's highlight reel. You can make it look bloody good, can't you? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Sam Burgess's rugby league highlight reel could be incredible. This was distinctly average. <laughs> like you know, I think he dropped it in one of them. Uh, now I have to ask, ask this because I've heard multiple sources. Did Mike Ford clap? at the end of the presentation <laughs> um, there was a ripple of applause yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I'm not going to push you any further on the Sam Burgess presentation but I will say this thank you so much for coming on to the podcast you've been a great guest and we would love to have you back anytime cheers mate we'll uh, talk some more scrummaging next time 100% <laughs> cheers 100%.